I started getting really involved in the task force there and realized that we had a really big problem with illicit massage parlors. And essentially, those are basically businesses. They're, they're, they're covering their activities. So they're covering behind a, a business profile. And to be able to conduct their activities, yeah, everything looks kind of normal you know, on the outside, right? But you don't really know what's going on in the inside. So I became very passionate about assisting with the ordinance that was passed later on. I did a lot of tours, a lot of research. I was really close with the team there, the task force. And, uh, you know, coming from living around that every single day and not realizing what was going on there, it really pushed me to kind of speak up about it. And also, you know, as a child too, like I would walk downtown and I did a lot of like coffee outreach. So we would get coffee, give coffee to like homeless people on a really cold day. This week, Elisa Gaborczyk joins the podcast. Elisa is a graduate of Harvard and survivor advocate for those affected by human trafficking. She is the CEO and founder of Cyber Nightwatch LLC, which provides private intelligence consulting, training, research, presentations, and operational support. Elisa trained Interpol's Human Trafficking and Migrant Smuggling Unit and their Crimes Against Children Unit. During the Ukraine refugee crisis, she led a cyber operation that identified victims and human trafficking criminal networks. Elisa assisted in the generation of 765 intelligence reports identifying advertisements with indicators of human trafficking to law enforcement. Elisa is a certified human trafficking investigator and certified human rights consultant. Kervin and Elisa talk in depth about human trafficking and the role social media has been playing to identify victims of trafficking and return those individuals to their families. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. All right. Welcome, Alisa Gibiorchik, to the podcast. I hope I got that right. You did. You got okay. it. It's better than most people. <laughs> I, with, as someone with a weird name on, on both sides, it, yeah. I try to do it, but it, it gets difficult sometimes. But I would love for you to just introduce yourself, tell everybody what you're working on, who you work with, and you know what you do and, and why I think you're very important. Yeah. So my name is Elisa Gibiorchik. I am currently in the United States. But what I do is I hunt down large criminal networks around the world, particularly human trafficking networks that exploit and manipulate and lure basically human beings, women, children, boys, men, everybody. So that's that's what I do. I do open source intelligence. So that means that I exploit social media to basically track down digital footprints of these criminals, locate them and identify any victims or or traffickers along that process as well. Currently, I, I support a number of partners with my company that I just started called Cyber Night Watch. And I have a very, I mean, my team is growing more and more as time goes on. And it's been an absolute honor to be able to lead them, develop them, train them, 
and kind of continue my mission this way. Personally, I am a survivor myself, so this is a personal fight for me. It's something I've always wanted to be a part of the fight for so many years, and I wasn't really sure what my place was. But over the past couple of years, I, I noticed a gap in the fight, and I, I went after that, and that's why I do what I do every day now. Awesome. So what what was your original background? And was it just, you know, you you were a survivor and then you just got really interested and or did you have an intel background? Yeah. So my background is actually pretty unique. I I went to school for international affairs. I wanted to go into politics. I want to be a diplomat, actually. But life took me another direction. I actually was in marketing for about six to seven years. So something that kind of made me unique in marketing was the cyber aspect of me. So I enjoyed coding. I love to, you know, automate emails, automate processes, develop websites. I took the time to learn how to code in different languages, particularly because if I wanted something made, I had to be able to talk to the technology team to get exactly what I wanted. So I became interested in, you know, becoming an analyst really because I saw a connection between marketing and intelligence collection, particularly because when you're in marketing, you're trying to find, identify your audience, right? You're trying to get as close as possible to them. So how do we do that? We do that by digital footprints. And that's how we target through ads. So it's particularly like basically the same thing. And actually, I use a lot of marketing tools to do my intelligence collection. And then on the human trafficking side, I got my master's degree in international relations and basically focused my entire graduate studies on human trafficking and that issue. Because I saw that, you know, coming from a small town, you know, I grew up around trafficking activity and I didn't even know it back then. But now I see the correlation between the two and I wanted to make any effort to do my part in that kind of work. Yeah, that's a and that's an excellent segue on one of the most important things I wanted to talk about, which is if you call it your dissertation for your master's or the paper that you wrote, uh, which is fantastic. It's fascinating. I really learned a lot from it. And it was the uh, how human trafficking is not only an urban problem, it's not a big city problem, but it's also a rural problem. Are you, would you like to discuss any of the things that because you said, you know, you didn't notice it at first, but now looking back. What are some of the examples that, that you saw that maybe people are in a small town that they could notice as well? Yeah, definitely. So I went to a high school basically in the biggest city in Montana, Billings, Montana. And I didn't notice it, but there were a lot of massage parlors around. It was, it was just very common. We'd walk past them. No big deal. You know, there would be jokes about it and everyone would laugh. But I did not know exactly what these massage parlors were right? I never even looked into it. And now as I've you know studied, I started getting really involved in the task force there and realized that we had a really big problem with illicit massage parlors. And essentially, those are basically businesses. They're, they're, they're covering their activities. So they're covering behind a, a business profile. And to be able to conduct their activities, yeah, everything looks kind of normal you know, on the outside, right? But you don't really know what's going on in the inside. So I became very passionate about assisting with the ordinance that was passed later on. I did a lot of tours, a lot of research. I was really close with the team there, task force. And, uh, you know, coming from living around that every single day and not realizing what was going on there, it really pushed me to kind of speak up about it. And 
also, you know, as a child too, like I would walk downtown and I did a lot of like coffee outreach. So we would get coffee, give coffee to like homeless people on a really cold day. And I remember this one moment where a guy was basically selling a girl on the street next to us. Now I'm looking at that and I had no idea what I was looking at. But now that I look back, I'm like, wow, like we, we had a problem, right? So when you look at Montana, what is our line that we always, I guess, like our, our state, like a tagline? It's called like get lost, right? So get lost in Montana. Montana is the perfect place to conduct those criminal activities. Number one, our, our police officers are understaffed. You know, they don't have a lot of resources. We don't have sales tax. And there's just a lot of land to cover, right? And the, the highway goes straight down. And so there's a, there's a lot of activity there. I mean, we have the a lot of a space where it could be unmonitored. So I wanted to highlight that because when I thought of trafficking, I mean, I thought, okay, Atlanta, Chicago, Los Angeles, right? But it was happening like two streets from me. It was happening right next to my high school. And it's something that really needed to be highlighted. There's another factor involved, like, there's not a lot to do in Montana, especially for youth. I mean, you could do, you know, outside recreational sports. You could do hiking, all of that. However, it's, it's a place where there's a lot of vulnerabilities there, right? And uh, I luckily, you know, didn't ever experience anything directly there. But I know that it's a growing problem. Same with the crime in Billings. It's just growing. And we, we need to have the resources to handle it. So I was really heavily involved in that and, and really just wanted to push that and highlight it because no one would ever think that Montana had a human trafficking problem. So Now, is that because there's a lot coming from, so a lot of people coming out of California, Oregon to get away from high prices, get a cheaper home, more land? Are you seeing that kind of stuff leading to more trafficking going on? I think that it's a combination, and I haven't researched this side of it, but I think it's a combination of, I mean, human trafficking is increasing everywhere, right? And why? Something that I always try to remind people is, look at all our technology. It's advancing at an extreme rate. I mean, you can be trafficked in your own home. Your child could be trafficked right now. You wouldn't even know it, but it's on their devices. So anything that connects to cyberspace is a vulnerability. It's a risky area. I haven't particularly researched that aspect of things of why it's increasing, but I think that we are a little bit behind on handling that problem. But we're we're taking baby steps. So and so you you've talked about sort of this this difference now where when I was growing up the internet was just booming. Mm-hmm. Um, trafficking for my my time and my team years, if it was done online, it was done through chat rooms. But now we have social media and and you're I mean, I see it. I'm bombarded by it in Instagram with these accounts of like scantily clad women and young, young people, young boys, young girls having these accounts. Are are you seeing that increase on social media as well, especially like TikTok and Instagram? Yeah, I mean, it's it's increasing. It's booming. And once you see it, you can never unsee it. So I think that, that it's I mean, that's where the traffickers are are getting their targets, right? It, it could just start with a DM, simple hello, right? Just like 
I, I tell parents, be very careful with what you post online about your children. Tell your children to also be very careful because, for example, those back-to-school pictures where it has the kid's age, kid's favorite sport, favorite candy, you know, the school they go to, their their teacher, all that information could be used to lure, lure and manipulate that child. And so I see it everywhere, all over Instagram. Twitter is flooding mm. with it, TikTok as well. And it's absolutely sickening how much is on there. Yeah. And yep. Again, I, I don't want to like gloss over it or, or anything like that because you, what you just said is very important mm-hmm. in, in talking to parents personally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of the things, because even as a, a person like myself and, and I was in, I was at Bragg, I was working for special operations and even our own special operators were, were posting the same kind of pictures. And mm-hmm. no one thought anything, uh, even to this, it, until you just said it now, I never thought about that kind of stuff. So I think it's important. Do you have any other tips or anything like that outside of that to help parents control that sort of information? Yeah, definitely. So number one, the thing that touches the internet is a, is a risk, okay? You're going to be the worst freaking parent in the world, but it, you need to be on top of that. You need to monitor it. You need to know who your child's talking to. You need to also make them feel comfortable to come to you with questions. If something doesn't feel right, they should be able to come to you and tell you. So keep that open line of communication. Also, have the passwords. Become very knowledgeable about applications that are really hidden, like the calculator app. There's there's so many out there. I was going to do a video on it, and I got overwhelmed by how many there are. There are even apps where you'll have like a fake basically a fake homepage on your phone, like swipe and everything's gone. So I think that, you know, we need to just continue having these conversations. For example, I didn't even know Kick was still around. I mean, that's what we used in high school. It's still around. And when I go on Kick, it's, it's all sexual material, very inappropriate. We need to just be very mindful of what our children are looking at as well. And hey, you know, we're in the digital age. I grew up feeling very comfortable talking to people I've never met, right? I, we go to school, we maybe have never met our classmates, but we're comfortable talking to them and we trust them, right? So these kids are growing up in an age where they are comfortable talking to people. They have no clue who they are when they have no idea who they are. So definitely monitor, know who your, your kids' like, you know, circles are, who are their friends. Notice changes in their behaviors really notice it and and approach them in a way where they'll feel comfortable opening up if needed. Also, make sure that your devices are in a public area. And if they go to another child's house, you know, the parents might have different protocols than you. So you want to make sure that you have that communication with that, that parent figure as well. So that they know that, you know, hey, you know, I have rules. Do you mind just also making sure that they're followed there? Also, if your child has new sneakers randomly, another cell phone. Keep in mind that kids will have other cell phones hidden. Heck, I had an iPod as a child because my parents took my phone at night, so I had an iPod to text. So like, I know all the tricks and all that. They're going to try to get around it. But really, if you just have that, that very open relationship with your child, that's the most important part. Kids will talk. They will speak. And I think it's sometimes as parents, and, and I'm a parent now, we forget 
if we allow our child to talk, they're going to ask the important questions. And we need to be there to support them in that. Same in schools, too. It needs to be the same way as it is at home. You know, teachers also should kind of have that comfortable connection with their students. So that would probably be my top tips. Also, like I said, don't post everything about your kid because, hey, you like Skittles, you know, or hey, you play basketball. Let's go to a basketball game together, you know, or I'm going to do this for you. These are things that they're looking for. They're not only looking for vulnerabilities, but they're looking for needs and wants. And that's what how kids are going to go in. Yeah. So a lot of stuff like, hey, my first my kids first travel alone somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't don't put that out there. That's all awesome stuff. It's stuff that it seems like common sense. And even I don't I, I think about it as like I didn't even think about that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate you bringing that kind of stuff up. So when we're talking about this like rural versus urban problem that's that's becoming, I started getting into it probably a few years ago when I saw this sort of media narrative not wanting to promote anti-human trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. I was always told, you know, for the Super Bowl in the U.S., it's one of the, the biggest human trafficking periods in the U.S. And then I do a Google search for it and there's like, you know, various different media organizations that are saying that's not actually true. Here's the data against mm-hmm. that. So as a professional, you're, can can you talk me through that? Maybe talk me off the ledge. Maybe it's not that much of a problem during big sporting events. Or is it something we should be discussing? So I participated in an operation around a big sporting event. It was actually my first one. So I was a baby analyst. In my response to this uh, dilemma or this you know, argument, I guess is what you would call it, <laughs> is that, look, human trafficking is happening everywhere, okay? It is happening at a magnitude that's, it, it, you can't count it. So I'm very much against statistics. I'm very much against having a solid number, a solid answer for you, because I don't know. And I'm not going to just assume or pull out some numbers for you. So I like to make sure that we stay very clear with uh, human trafficking is occurring, you know, whether it's a big sporting event or whether it's not. OK, maybe people do travel with, you know, maybe people travel to these locations and obviously want to buy sex. And, you know, maybe that's increased. Maybe it's not that the data it doesn't lie. However, we need to look you need to look at all of the variables in the data. What is not even being tracked? I mean. This is such a hidden crime. We have no idea how many people have been exploited around the world. We have no idea how many people are, are committing. There's no solid number. I can't say, oh, there's 45 billion victims around the world. No, I can't say that because we have no idea. So I don't have an answer for you on that. But I don't think me not having an answer is a bad thing necessarily. You go in, you do the work, you try to track down as many as you can, disrupt them, disrupt their their networks, their connections, and their business practices. And I think that's the most important thing at the end of the day. Yeah, one. I mean, that's, thank you for that answer. That is probably the best. I I can't come up with it because you're you're doing this. But as far as as far as quality answers and unbiased answers go, that's perfect. So yep. thank you for that. 
So I would like to, you, you talked about like open source intelligence and yeah. you've worked in open source intelligence. How is open source or OSINT, open source intelligence, helping the anti-trafficking problem or the human trafficking problem that's going on in the world? So anytime we touch the, the internet, we leave a digital footprint, right? And let's just say you have a lot of fish in one pond and, and then you have like two or three in another, okay? Traffickers are going to go where the the victims are, where their targets are. So they're going to go to the internet because that is where they're able to conduct their criminal activities in a low risk, a very cheap and anonymous way, right? And that's the internet for us. They don't have to really do much, right? And it's not a lot of manpower to do it. You just need to have a computer, an internet connection. There you go, right? I believe that Open source intelligence is so important because they are traceable, right? Just like we all are traceable. That's why we have to be very careful online. So basically using the same way that they use to exploit, to advertise, to discuss, to sell to buyers and using that against them, that's how you're going to be able to identify and Make it as difficult as possible for these criminal networks to operate because that is actually the goal right there. If you take their tools away from them, yeah, they might move on to the next tool or the next method, but we need to constantly stay ahead of the game. And the internet's a big, big place. There's a lot of dark corners in there. And something that I always want to tell people is this stuff is, it's happening right in front of our faces. That device in your hand, that computer in front of you, it's happening right there. It's not on the dark internet. Yeah, it probably is. But they're going where, you know, the demand is. They're going where, you know, they're, I don't like to call victim supply, but in a way, they're coming and grabbing more and more. So we make it very difficult. That's the way to go. And if we just came in and rescued everybody and we arrested, right? Nothing's going to really change. We need to just take everything away from them. So open source intelligence is, is great because I'm able to identify, map out these networks and essentially disrupt them at the same time, make it very difficult because there's a lot of moving parts, especially when you get to the very large networks. Yeah. And and so it's kind of like what we talk about even in terrorism. Like, you know, you cut the head off and then two more appear. You find that similar in human trafficking. Yep. So I would say just as someone who I'm not a professional, I, I just do a lot of reading on it. I, I see Twitter, Instagram, all the social media apps are, are high on human trafficking. What are some of like the niche things that parents are, or even if our demographics, not really the kids, but... Mm -hmm. If kids are listening right now and they, they want to hear something to protect themselves, what are some of like the niche apps, the niche social media or internet websites that kind of talk about? So like what to avoid or? Yeah, like, you know, you know, Telegram is such a, it's not really niche anymore, but it's sort of this, oh, hey, we're Telegram. No one's going to know your, your messages. Is that something that's being utilized? Yeah. So honestly, Telegram, it can be tracked. It just can. Same with most of these apps, really. And what I would tell children is that it's not worth it. If you are talking to someone online and you don't know who they are, 
be very, very careful. It is not worth it, right? It may feel great to talk to someone. They may care about you or pretend to care about you, but it is not worth it at the end of the day, right? And so be very careful. Make sure you tell your parents what you're doing. Even if it's embarrassing, tell them. If you feel like you're in danger, tell them because they, we, we don't want to get that phone call. We don't. And life is rough. Life is freaking hard. Yeah. And you just need to know that there are dangerous people out there. Maybe you can't see that right now, but you want to avoid being in those situations. So just know that, you know, there are resources out there for you too. And there are people there that will listen to you because I know it's very hard. Me coming from that, like, I definitely understand how terrifying it is to speak up because it's hard to have anyone listen to you. So just be very cautious of what you're doing. Don't go for the thrills. Like I said, it's not worth it. Definitely it is not. And these threads are so close, closer than we think. You know, I, I screen a lot of chat rooms still. Yes, they're being used. I mean, there's Omegle still going, Kick, all these different chat rooms, and I see it. Yeah, I, I did. See, I saw your post about Kick, and I was the same way. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know it was still going on. I didn't know chat rooms were still a thing. Oh, yeah, they are. Me growing up, chat rooms were were a thing. And yeah. then it, social media kind of, I thought, stopped all that. But No, they're still going. I, think, I, mean, I was on one the other, other day. Wow. It was like, ooh, red flag. Red. I mean, I, there's even the kids' chat rooms, and I was seeing like 20-year-olds. 18 year olds and I was just there monitoring but I was getting messages like blown up I don't even have a profile photo and so these kids are doing it they're on there still and it's something that we we just really need to connect with our kids in a way that doesn't terrify them of course you know shows them develop other leaders within the youth so that they can speak and that's another thing I want to talk on is that Open platform here. Go for it. Yeah, we need more young leaders and we need to allow young people to be leaders, give them opportunities to speak and to lead. Because look, who's ruling the world? It's our youth, right? If we continue to not give them that platform or that opportunity to grow, they're not going to influence their peers. They're not going to create movements. And, you know, it's, it's, we just need to begin doing that. And that's something that me as a young leader has struggled with, being heard, being listened to, and being given that trust to lead. So, hey, you know, kids, it's happening and it's everywhere. And I see it all over the place. Do you think you've had an issue because you're, you're a woman, you're, you're not, uh, I'll say you're, if, if I can say you're an Iranian-American, mm-hmm. do you feel that that has been a hindrance at all and just open and honest because I don't have a, I don't have a bias either way. I just would like to know, you know, I am not sure exactly why it's, it's been a struggle. I think that I obviously, you know, I didn't come from military background or, you know, former operative, all of that. Like I kind of just grew into this role out of, just natural curiosity. Also wanting to solve puzzled mysteries. It's always been a part of me. So I think that, I mean, me being very young, we 
forget the fact that, yeah, you know, years of experience is great, right? But I just needed that one shot, that one chance to show that, look, I'm here for the long run. I'm going to figure this out and I'm not going to stop until I do that. And that's what I did. I took my one little shot and then it skyrocketed from there. I mean, I, I applied to many nonprofits when I was in an undergrad. I got declined by all of them. And then a couple of years later, I'm a few years, like four or five years later, I'm sitting on a panel with them as an expert with them. And I think that that just shows that, look, you need to just start giving us a chance invest in us. Uh, it's going to be worth it. Some of us, you know, have that heart and that passion and we will do the work. We are hungry. That's what we are. I don't think it's me being a woman at all. I haven't felt that way. I think another aspect of me is when I shared that I was a survivor and I chose not to do it publicly and I've chosen personally not to share my story for a lot of reasons. I was hit with a lot of Oh, are you okay? Can you handle this? Oh, you need to take care of yourself. You can't handle this trauma. You can't, you can't do that because you're a survivor. And I look at them and I'm like, no, I'm ready to fight. Like, I want to fight. I'm sorry. I want to show other survivors that, look, you don't need to be put in a box. If you want to go and do the work, get your hands dirty, be in the front lines, go do it. More power to you. And if anything, this has been extremely like healing to my life because I feel like I have that will and that fight in me just because it's my personal fight. So I think that's that's been a very difficult for me is now I don't really even say I'm a survivor much anymore because it's like, you know, people are going to think, oh, how does she do the job that she does? But uh, yeah, I think that just young people in general, it's very hard, especially in this kind of work. I mean, it's heavy. It's a heavy load and it's a lot of responsibility. That's for sure. And I will tell you, it is exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. That's why I go hunt ghosts on the weekends. Yeah. Here we go then. All right. I want to lighten, I want to lighten it up. Yeah. Because this is, it's very tough. I think it's important. That's why I reached out to you to have this conversation. I, I, I wish I could talk to, you know, people fighting human trafficking every single week of my life and get the stories out. But let's go to the paranormal. And how did you, so first of all, uh, full disclosure, I love paranormal. I, I love paranormal shows. I love everything about it. I'm from New Orleans. Well, I'm, I'm from around New Orleans, but that area is very much pro paranormal activity. How did you get into that? Well, so I never thought about this, actually. I mean, I grew up, watching paranormal shows with my dad really that was like the exciting parts of my week would sit down watch tv you know watch all those investigation shows you know where it's so dramatic and everything and throughout my life since then i've just always had a curiosity i mean one of my first papers as a elementary school student was on ghosts i don't know why i've always been kind of like someone that's comfortable in darkness you know i had a really rough childhood being interested in things that may have scared me or having that adrenaline rush when you are in fear, I guess, in a way, like it was comfortable and it was kind of like a, a way to escape. And so I started going on all of these 
real paranormal investigations. And I really wanted to know, is it real? Right. So I, I've had a couple like incidences where I thought I saw a ghost. Still have no idea because I was super young. But I actually did an overnight stay at the uh, Trans Allegheny Hospital Insane Asylum where they, you know, had a, a lot of patients pushed into this hospital with like basically no beds, no room at all. And I did an overnight stay. So I, I showed up there at 9, 9 p.m. and left at 5 a.m. in the morning. And all I can tell you is that my mind was blown. I mean, whispering behind my ear. It was incredible. And I'm a big history person, too. So like having that history with it, it was an incredible experience. I, I loved the adrenaline rush. I loved not knowing what was going to happen next. It just felt it felt really good to kind of do that and get my mind. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite story that you have as oh, an experience? If you do one, I will do one myself. And so we can we can be yeah. on even terms for everybody listening. Because, you know, there's somebody listening going, these people are crazy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. stop. Well, yeah. So I, uh, there's, there's a, a few, but I'll do one in particular. It's kind of funny. Okay. So at the top floor of the asylum, it's where the patients that were going through rehab, like drug, alcohol, all of that. And there's this one room called like Larry's room. And you walk in there and there's like a deck of cards in the middle. People just like leave things for him, like cigarettes, whatever. And I walked in the room and I'm like walking in a circle and I start hearing a ticking noise, like a clock. And it would go away and I'd go to one area and it would come back again. And I like there's a clock at the top. There's no electricity. We're we're freezing. Really, it's really cold at this point. And apparently he likes Johnny Cash. So I started playing Johnny Cash. Right. And the ticking noise would get louder and louder. And then it would stop. So I come, I go downstairs, I come back up, and I don't hear it anymore. But then one of the other girls, I hear her mention, oh, there's a ticking, like a clock. And like I said, there's just no way that, it was just so weird and so random. But I have never, like, heard something so clear as mm -hmm. today. And then, of course, I've caught things on camera, so I have all that. Yeah. I've probably seen all my videos and all that. But yeah, I mean. It, I love those. Yeah, I love to catch things now that I'm kind of learning how to do it. I mean, uh, yeah. it's, it's so fascinating to me. Are you working with the society in Baltimore that's doing that kind of stuff? No, I, I would love to. I saw, in your in, I saw you posted on your Instagram. That's why. Yeah, I so, no, he, he's an investigator that I, I went on an investigation with him recently at an old movie theater. And not movie theater. Yeah, movie theater and Laurel, Maryland. Okay. Um, for Halloween. And he's like, you're good. You've done this before. Why don't you go to this other side by yourself? And I was like, okay. And we, we had an incredible experience. He, he was a great guide. And, but no, I mean, hey, if anyone wants to hire me, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> hey, that's what this is for. Both of us. We'll yeah, do let's it. Do it. Let's start our own. You know, that's going to be a part of my company. We're just going to do it. Yeah. My love. Hey, this is networking. Yes. Get with me because <laughs> we will do this. I, I got two stories okay. just so that we can counter it and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. One story was my, my daughter now is 16, but when she was born, it was in Monterey, California. I was at the Defense Language Institute learning Arabic, and she was being born at, at CHOMP, which is the community hospital of Monterey Peninsula. It's a beautiful hospital, put a lot of money into it. And I was taking a break, and there's a koi pond 
in the center of the hospital. And we, we had a, we have, I have an 18 year old now. So she was two, almost three at that point. And I said, I need, I need to go take her, go look at the, the koi fish. And we're sitting down there. It's probably like nine, 10 at night, you know, just looking at the koi fish and I'm holding her because she's two years old Mm -hmm. and I feel something grab my butt. And I'm like, that is really weird because I can see it through my peripherals. I see a shadow. I feel a, a touch, like a grab on my butt. This was not just like somebody passing by. And so I look to the left to see the person move through and see who it is and kind of like yell at them. Mm-hmm. And there was no one there. And and so this is, what, 16 years ago. And so I'm like, coming from a conservative Christian background, it's not mm-hmm. really something we talk about. I'm like, I really just got touched yeah. right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I kind of tell my wife and, and she... Tiana, it's a co-host of our of our main podcast, and she's very much into supernatural kind of things. She's so awesome about all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I tell her about it, and, and she's like, you know, that's a ghost. I'm like, no, that is just something I felt. Mm-hmm. So we fast forward about three or four years later. We're living in St. Martinville, Louisiana. Our house is across the street from a Civil War cemetery. So, you know, I don't care. Yeah. Being people hear cemetery and they're like, ah, I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm not going to live there. But in Louisiana, if you live near a cemetery, you're actually on the highest point because that's where they have to put the bodies at. Otherwise it'll flood and everything will come up. So we're at the best spot in Louisiana because it's higher up. It's never going to flood, but we're across the street from a civil war museum cemetery. Sorry. And I will tell you this, the paranormal activity that happened in that house was incredible. Mm-hmm. Just TVs going off, toys. Like we had at that point, we had three kids. One was probably six. There was six, four, two, maybe, or maybe it was five, five, three, and one. But you know, all these electronic toys that run off of batteries, and you shut them off, and then they just start going off mm-hmm. in the house. And wow. knocking on the doors and and things yeah. like that. So I always do like the. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I remember you, that. What got what got you into that kind of stuff? Because someone like you and I, who are very logical intelligence yeah, analysts, kind of stuff, kind of if you talk to anybody else, they'll tell I don't. I'm I'm logical. I don't think about that yeah. kind of stuff. I think I. I'm a person that's just naturally curious, right? And I like to try new things before I have an opinion on it. And also, I like challenges. So I'll be really straightforward. Like, I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> I am a scaredy cat. As I've, when I see something that maybe I'm afraid of or I feel uneasy, I like to challenge myself so that I can grow and, and get more comfortable and allow myself to, to feel that. So, I mean, yeah, I would just blame it on my natural curiosity. Also, once you feel something, you go somewhere and feel something, something happens. It's it's hard to not keep going because you're more and more curious and your brain starts rolling. Well, how could this? Oh, maybe this, you know, and I've always just wanted to experience things that are just outside of my normal and daily life. And I've actually, I've gone on investigations, like private ones, and they've told me like, wow, this is the most activity we've had, right? I walked into one, it was a, used to be a brothel, actually, and the electricity went out. 
create what I want. That's never happened before. <laughs> I was like, well, it's going to be a great night. I've been actually asked to like, okay, this is done because there's too much activity. <laughs> Do so, you think because you've opened yourself up to it? I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay. I think so. I'm a natural, I'm very empathetic. I feel things. I feel vibes really easily. So I've heard that that's probably why. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand. I just don't have an answer for really anything <laughs> that really goes on in there. I mean, I, I even got scratched once. I have a photo. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I didn't feel getting scratched, but I noticed it. My friend noticed it afterwards. So. Yeah, we were in we were in Puerto Rico and we were doing the uh, taking a tour of the fort in in Puerto Rico and there's sort of like this underground area. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, let me go down first and go check it out." And I had my camera and stuff, and you can't hear anything except for me. All right, we're down here. There's there's like, "Oh, I can tell these are bars here. They kept people down here." And then all of a sudden I go, "Oh, hell no." And I shut everything off and I run back because something brushed by me and there was no one. I mean, obviously there's no one else down there. So that always my wonder is like, is that because there's a lot of people right now thinking you guys are crazy. Yeah, I know. That's not going on. I came here for Um, trafficking. (laughs) Right. I came here to listen to human trafficking and I I hear my wife upstairs and I want her to hear me talking because she's (laughs) like, she's like, it is true, guys. Come on. So many stories, and yeah. uh, I, I would love to you guys to like link yeah. up and just talk about all the the different stories. But it is so fascinating to me. Sorry for everybody who came here for human trafficking because I do want to get into the paranormal stuff. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's crazy. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like what you said. Like, okay, I need to get out of here. I'm very sensitive to areas where maybe something happened. Like maybe there's a like a child was abused or maybe there was exploitation going on, sexual exploitation, all that. I don't touch it. I just don't. So like I have my limits and I'm just a curious person and I'm, you know, I work a very hard job. In fact, I've been probably up like 39 hours now straight, believe it or not. So it's well, thank you for coming on after all of that. Sorry. I'm happy to know. I'm happy to do it. But like, you know, I need a break once in a while and that's, that's the, break that gets my mind off of it. So I'm happy to have that outlet. Yeah. And, and so I think that's very important is that that's an outlet that you found. Yeah. And, oh. and everybody should get that outlet because our main podcast, we talk, we, we kind of harp on the media and mm-hmm. how reading a lot of news stories can make you have mental issues, you know, mental health issues and stuff like that. So it's really refreshing to hear somebody come on and say, yeah, that's very true. Having all of these issues yeah. does affect you mentally. You have to find an outlet. It and it does. it doesn't matter what other people think about that outlet, outlet. You need to do that. Yes. Yeah, I you have to have it. I mean, no matter how strong you are, it it never just becomes normal. It never yeah. does. And the things that you know the public doesn't see, but we see it's it's horrific and it's it's hard. It's you know, I I don't sleep very much. I don't, you know, it's it's just it's it's difficult. So you have to have a, a like something. Go to the gym. You know, do crazy stuff like this. You know, I flew a plane a month. I ago. saw that. I saw that. 
you know, I am like, I'm one of the, I just need to have my mind distracted for a little while because I will work, 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 work. I mean, my friends, I annoy the crap out of them because I'm always working. Um, so I make sure that, you know, my analysts take breaks. It's good to have periods of time where you're not exposed to that. I make sure that I have breaks as well because it, it will, it will hit you. And it's, it's very difficult to manage that once you get to that point. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a, a very important distinction because mm-hmm. just talking to you f- over the last, you know, 45 minutes, I can sense that we have very, very much similar personalities mm-hmm. in that it's, I don't ask for help a lot. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or I didn't before I, I kind of gone through, I've gone through a mental health mm-hmm. sort of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And now I can ask more for, um, did, did you see did you have to do that same sort of deconstruction? Yes. I'm one of the, I'm, I'm that type of person that if I don't know how to do it, I'll learn how to do it. It's very hard for me to ask for help. But I recently, probably even th- just this year, like you said, I, I realized that I can't do everything and I need to leave it up to the people that specialize in certain areas, let them do the work that they do and me focus on the most important aspects and my priorities because yeah i've i probably my former position i did everything i did marketing i did partnerships i did training i did every single role really so now i take a stand where i'm like no i can't do that and that's okay you know there are other people i can ask for for help from other people and that's there's nothing wrong with that there's no weakness there i suck at geospatial things i asked my my partner hey, talk to me man i'll give you all the geospatial stuff so <laughs> yeah so like i you know if i if i need something i'm i'm at this point where i have to take care of myself you know make sure i'm okay and and let people you know develop those skills if someone wants to learn it great i'll give them the opportunity to do that but we can't do everything we can't. You're going to run yourself in the wall. I realized that this year pretty quickly. Was that a lot of sort of like the COVID quarantine where you just realized I'm doing too much for other people. I've got to do some stuff for myself. I well, I think that that began as a child. OK, because I have had to grow up extremely fast. You know, I, my, my mom passed away. It was very difficult for me not having family around when I moved to D.C. And I had to learn to do everything kind of like on my own. And that's always been kind of like that. And I've always had that attitude. Like, if I can control what's going on, then I feel okay because everything around me was chaos constantly. So I think that, oh, my camera fell. Those ghosters. Ghost. That was a ghost, I swear. So, yeah, I think that I, I, I had to learn the hard way and, uh, and realize that, you know, I can rely on other people. It was, it's, it's really just started with my childhood, not being able to trust others with things. Did you, did you have to do any therapy or anything like that? And, and you can say, stop asking these questions. <laughs> no, 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 don't worry. No, don't worry. I'm really, I'm real and open at this point. So I, yes, I, I, you know, I had 
I think it's always good to have a therapist, especially with the work that I do right now, especially. So yes, I did have to go through a lot of therapy and, you know, realize that I need to take care of myself. I need to value myself, my time, as well as, you know, I cannot do the work that I want to do if I'm burned out. And I can't do it at the amount of effectiveness or efficiency if I'm burned out. So I needed to have some time to to kind of get to that point. Because yeah, I burned out this year. I mean, I went through a lot this year. And I'm glad I learned the lesson now. You know, I'm glad I didn't do that. But yeah, that's just always been me. Yeah, so that that's something that I am working on as sort of like a instructing kind of thing is success through failure. Yep. And and so I'd like to ask if you felt the same way, like you had to fail at something before you succeeded. Yes, in a way. Okay. There have been many times in my life where I felt like I was going the right direction. Like this was it. This is what I was meant to do. This is putting everything into this, right? Because I've always been involved in multiple things in life. For example, I did music. I did sports. I did theater. I did like almost everything. And there was never that one thing where I felt like this is it. So through life, it's been very difficult for me because, okay, yeah, that opportunity didn't work out or I ended up not liking this. And I realize now that, yeah, those things didn't work out. Or for example, you know, my former position didn't work out, Mm -hmm. but that was all for a reason. I don't regret anything that I've done in my life in the past because I would not be who I am today without that. I don't regret it. Yeah, it was hard. It was extremely hard. But without it, I would never have known how I can contribute to the fight like I do now. There's just no way. If I didn't do marketing for six years, I would never have prob. Well, I might have. Who knows? We can't determine that. But I wouldn't be sitting in front of you right now. So, you know, so those failures or missed opportunities or whatever you would call it, it all happens for a reason. Yeah, see there. So that's one thing that I say all the time is mm-hmm. I'm up to believe. So I, I don't believe in coincidences. I don't believe things yeah. just happen because they happen. Mm-hmm. It's always you're on a path. Get very spiritual. This is not what the this podcast <laughs> we're getting is deep. Sorry, so we're gonna we're gonna go very deep. There's no there's no like in my opinion. There's no coincidences. You you were set along a path, and what your goal is isn't always what the end result is going to be. Mm-hmm. But the end result is going to be exactly where you need to be. And so coming from oh man. Try not to cry here. So coming from someone who's a survivor, and I'm not trying to say that that should have happened or anything like that because it should not have happened to you at all. Mm-hmm. But not even a but. Because but means, yeah, what I just said is is irrelevant. But you were put on a path for something. Do you feel that way? Do you feel you were put on this path to do good in the world the way you're doing good right now? Most definitely. I have always felt very different as a child. I didn't know what that was. And yeah, I'm trying not to cry myself, (laughs) you know. But my life has been a series of chaos and not knowing 
what's going to happen next ever. I thrive in it now. I'm comfortable being on my toes. But I always knew something was going to be big or I would be given a responsibility or that I just my life was going to become something or I was meant for something bigger than myself than I that I understood. I just always felt different. And yes, I went through what I went through as a child and as a young adult. And ever since that, you know, I it's my purpose. This is what I want to do. This is what I this is my healing. I want to be the person that I needed when I was a child. And I know everybody talks about that cliches on TikTok, whatever, but it's the truth here. I wanted to be what I didn't have. And I found myself through this work. Shoot, a year ago, if you asked me on a podcast, I would have been hyperventilating. I didn't want to talk. I'm scared. But now it's like I found my voice and I'm being heard. And I... I want to fight for those that don't have that voice yet or that they're silenced because it is real. It's not, that's not a marketing tagline. It, it's real and the pain is real. And I feel like I've been put on this earth to do just that. Not only take down these traffickers, but also develop other survivors or other victims, you know, that it's going to get better. And you are valuable and you are important and you could live a chaotic life like me, but you're going to reach that happiness eventually. So, yes. I love that. You are important. I think that that's how this this concludes. Exactly. You are important. Everybody who's listening, you're important. Yep. So Every single one. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I do want to give you an opportunity in the next few minutes to just tell everybody where you can where they can find you. It's going to be in the show notes. But yeah, definitely. Everybody know where to find you, what, you know, how to contact you. For sure. And all that kind of stuff. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so my my Instagram is CyberAlisa. So CyberAlisa, A-L-I-S-A. My Twitter is CyberAlisa, but instead of the L in Alisa, it's a one because someone took it. My website is CyberNightWatch. Dot com and night is spelled like N-I-T-E because we we watch in the dark. And yeah, uh, yeah you'll find everything else there. So don't stalk me, though. Do not message her because <laughs> I mean, felt really bad. Don't, don't bring your background, you know, through LinkedIn and stuff. Yeah, so definitely. It's like oh, instant message. No, DM. This is a creep. Yep. But I, I'm glad that you did. So I'm glad we were able to do this and be real. Because that oh my goodness! Thank, thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yes. Uh, so, I like to name drop on our podcast. So, you yeah. know, I've talked to Mike Baker, Andrew Busmont. This is the best. You have been the best yeah. that we have had thank on you. our podcast. Hundred percent. Thank you so much. much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs>